everyone. I'm so excited for Dr. Don Wilson. If you don't know him, um, go ahead and lift up the rock and come out and join the 21st century. Um, Don Wilson is one of the coolest guys I know because he's nice to me in public as well as behind closed doors. And so that's how I rank my nice folks, people who are big deals and are still nice to you in public um and acts like he knows who I am every time so it makes me really really excited and before I go any further with Don I did see Mike Nave on here and I just wanted to acknowledge Mike because he is part of the Accelerate group with Don so hey Mike I'm so glad you're here and um Don why don't you just tell the good folks a little bit about yourself before we get started tell them a fun fact that you want them to know gosh I don't know that I have any fun facts I um I grew up on a rural church in Kansas. Um, let's see, I'm the youngest of five. Um, went in the ministry. I have uh, three kids. They're all in ministry full-time. I have 11 grandkids that all know Jesus Christ, and many of them are preparing for ministry. Been married to the same woman for 53 years. It's a really compliment to my life and ministry. Um, started out in a rural church, preached in some uh, weekend ministries while I was in college. Uh, then I went to uh, Phoenix in 1975. I was a youth pastor at a large church. Then I took over a, a turnaround church running 200. And we went from 200 to 703 years. Then my wife and I uh, for, started a new church in our home, and it grew to 27,000 over 35 years with several locations. So uh, we've just really been blessed. But the greatest blessing is that our kids and grandkids all know Jesus and their servant. Awesome. I love it. Well, what I'm going to do is ask Don a couple of questions that um, I think are facing the church based on conversations I've had, things for um, leaders and church pastors. Then at the end, if we have some time, I'm going to open up the floor. So, Dr. Wilson, are you ready to get, I, I love calling you Doc, Dr. Wilson, because um, you earned it. So, I'm, I'm going to do it, because if I ever had a doctorate, I would force everybody to call me doctor. I tried to get my husband to call me master when I got my master's degree and he would not do it. <laughs> he refused. It was very sad. But first question I have for you, this is the first time um, since the history of the world, um, excluding maybe like Genesis era, <laughs> that we have really seen five generations in one church worshiping together at the same time. What is the best way for preachers to hit all of these generations um, because it's not something that we have ever faced and it's not something that's happened um, even remotely close to us. So what's your advice for pastors who are trying to reach Gen Z to the silent generation? Well, I, I think that the big difference is I think it's easier to reach your generation intuitively. So if you're a millennial, you know how millennials think and you can intuitively reach them. If you're a baby boomer, I think you intuitively can reach them. But if you're gonna reach other generations different from your age, you have to be more intentional. And that means I have to spend time with people not of my generation. I have, like I said, 11 grandkids, 16 to 26. I quiz them all the time about what's going on in their life, what's going on with their friends, what kind of culture are, are they a part of? And so one of the best things for me growing up in a rural area in a farm, my worldview is pretty limited. So I think traveling is one of the best ways to find out 
what God's doing, not just in America, uh, but around the world. I think you've got to read. I think you have to understand culture. I think you have to talk to unchurched people. So I would say, um, again, if you're not, if you're reaching people outside of your generation, you've got to be way more intentional. I will say today that I think reaching all generations has not changed. What people need to hear more than ever today is the truth of the Word of God. Um, we hear so much about mental health, and I'm probably going to go out on a limb here. I think the pastor's job is not to preach mental health. That's a counselor's job. Our job is to give spiritual health, and I think one of the major reasons Christians are struggling with mental health today is because they're so weak spiritually. We as pastors have not given them the truth from the Word of God, how to deal with spiritual issues that come up, and that's why uh, if you're not solid spiritually, mentally, you're going to get messed up a lot more. So I think we cannot minimize the preaching of the Word of God because truth is truth for every generation. I absolutely love that, especially since my generation and the generation coming up behind me are really pushing relative truth. Um, I just wish they taught logic in schools a little bit more. <laughs> um, Don, can you just speak a little bit to the importance of Sabbath for pastors? Um, we work on Sunday and Saturday and Thursday and, 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 and um, it's almost like we're always on call. Um, is it important? How do we do it? What does that look like for um, pastors? Yeah, and, and boy, I'm the wrong one to answer this question. I grew up milking cows five in the morning, five at night, 365 days a year. I had one vacation in 18 years. So if you'd ask me how was my Sabbath growing up on the farm, we didn't have one. I mean, Sunday we went to church, but we still milk cows four hours out of, out of the day. So um, my wife would say to me often, you don't know how to take a day off. Uh, but I think one of the things that I did do well was I know how to disconnect and reconnect. I hear a lot of pastors that say, I'm glad I don't live close to the church because it takes me 20 minutes to drive home to disconnect. I, God bless me with, I could walk out of my office and before I got to my car in the church parking lot, I was disconnected. And I didn't reconnect until I got in the car to drive back to church. So I think the issue with your Sabbath is you can have a Sabbath every week, but if you still can't disconnect during your Sabbath, you don't really have a Sabbath. And with social media today, it is so difficult to disconnect. Um, and so the issue for me on the Sabbath is I have to determine in my ministry what energizes me and what depletes me. Uh, everybody has the same time, time, but our energy is different. So some people are going to need more time to recharge than maybe others. So you've got to know what is it that depletes you and what energizes you. Uh, one thing that I'm a little old school, so hang with me. I don't understand today churches that say the whole staff is off Friday. We don't do funerals. We don't do anything on Friday. I can't relate to that. Uh, if you're pastoring to people and they have a funeral or a major issue going to the hospital and they call the church for help and the pastor says, I'm sorry, our office is closed or it's our day off, they're going to find another church. So what do you do? I don't, I don't think everybody has to take Friday off. What we did for years was there was always a pastor on call, that somebody is always there when there's an emergency. And, and I think in the ministry, you have to be available because if you're not available for people when they're going through ministry, they'll, ne they'll never forget that. 
And so again, you're going to have to manage that on your staff, let somebody do that. But uh, so the issue to me is not so much your day off, but what do you do on your day off to, um, to decompress from ministry, to step aside from ministry, and then what does it take to recharge you? And everybody's going to be different on that, so you need to figure out what you need and then uh, make it happen. Okay, Don, those were softballs. Are you ready for some fast pitch? Go for it. All right, so I'm sure many of you guys have seen Craig Rochelle's Life Church, Life TV, um, create a metaverse church online. And if you're not familiar with that, a metaverse is almost like a virtual reality. So it's almost like a Zoom with avatars, okay? Um, I read an article today where the Potter's House in Dallas, Texas has just sold their property and gone fully online for church. Let's talk about that. Let's have this conversation. Is it okay to have a metaverse church? Is it okay to do church strictly online? What's the importance of gathering as the church body? What does the Bible say? Let's have this conversation. Uh, I, I think virtual church is here to stay whether I like it or not. It is here to stay. Um, I think it doesn't create community. I just read a stat that the Gen Z generation says that they do not feel like they get community through social media. And so if the younger generation doesn't get it, then I guarantee you that the older generations don't get real community either. I think the video or virtual church does encourage the consumer mindset of the church. And I think a major problem in America today is we, we've turned our worship service into, into uh, uh, consumers, their, their, their performances, and then we wonder why people aren't committed because they basically come to be consumers. And so I think the virtual church is here. I think it does encourage that. The question all of us have to ask before we do virtual church or online is what's the purpose of it? Is it to get more online followers? Is it to build my brand? Or is it to get people from driving distance to then come to the meeting and connect? So I, I think you have to determine what is uh, your purpose of your visual church? I did uh, hear somebody, um, in fact, it's a gentleman called uh, David Murrow that wrote the book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. He lives in Alaska part-time and here in Phoenix. And we had lunch the other day and he's starting something brand new because he's been in media all his whole life about uh, virtual preaching. And he said today, the major problem with most preaching online is it's not geared for online. They take a sermon that they're preaching live and then they send it out online. And he said, it, it's a totally different style. He said, if you get bored at church, you don't get up and leave the church. You, you stay for the sermon, even though it's boring. But online, if you, you got a short attention span, if you're watching and it doesn't connect with you, you click off and do something else. And so his point, I hadn't thought about it, is that he thinks most of the preaching that we're doing online is not really geared for the online audience. We're taking a live service and trying to make it work for the, for the visual. So anyway, I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's the real church moving forward. I don't think it creates authentic community long-term. So how we negotiate that, I'm not sure the answer. So maybe we could use the online church more as an outreach or like an extra thing, but not the thing. Yeah, I, I think like, in other words, 
people would say, I've got 5,000 people watching me online. Well, I don't care if they're from, uh, if they're from Africa, who cares? You know, you're not benefiting them in my mind that much. What I wanted to know if I was going to do it in Phoenix, who in Phoenix is watching me online so I can connect them to one of our campuses and one of our small groups. That's how I would try to use it. How can I connect people locally? What they're doing online, uh, I, I don't know. I, I do think during COVID, what we found out is a lot of people are watching all kinds of preachers online. Mm-hmm. which they're not as loyal to the local church as they were before COVID. Because now if they don't like your series, they can just go click onto somebody else and watch that, which is a whole different thing again about the whole consumer mindset of the church, which I don't think is healthy long-term. So what you're saying is don't sell your building <laughs> to move your church online. Yeah, I, I, I would, uh, again, um, but a lot of these churches that are online are getting one of the reasons it works for them, they get a lot of people to give online and give to their church instead of their home church. And so as long as they can generate income um, and have a following and not have to work as hard, they're probably going to keep doing it. Yeah, but at that point, you're no longer a church, you're an influencer or a celebrity, and that's completely missing the point of pointing people to Christ, right? Yeah, I I think a major problem with social media, this whole different question I might hit later, but I think too many preachers today, we become celebrities instead of servants. And God never called us to be celebrities. He called us to be servants. Yeah. And let me tell you guys, the celebrity life, oh, it's tough. You don't want it. <laughs> that was a joke. I'll trust, that was a joke. I'll trust your opinion on that. <laughs> um, that's a great segue. So my next question is, um, when we look at the church, the back door is wide open. Um, Last week, we talked as a group about how most, um, a lot of, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of our pastors are seeing 80% of people who are at the church now post-COVID, well, I guess in the midst of COVID, are new people. But what does that say about the 80% who left? So there's no question that there is a back door and it's wide open in the church. Um, another statistic that I've read repeatedly and I've preached until my voice has gone weak is that eight out of 10 kids are leaving the church after graduation. And unlike in years past and decades past, only about 10 to 30% are returning to the church once they settle down and get married and have kids. And so what do we do to like close this back door, lock it, and keep people in the church, in the community, not necessarily just the building, but like the church as a whole. What are we missing? How do we do that? Well, uh, you said something that triggered something I wasn't going to say, but I'm going I'm to address that from my opinion. I think the reason so many kids that go away to college never come back to church is because the church, the church that they left does not exist anymore. If, if you go to in junior high and high school, if for six years you go to youth worship and don't go to adult worship, when you go away to college, and they say, well, come back to church. I haven't been in your church for six years. I don't know what your church is because the adult service is different than the youth service. So I think one of the things looking in the future, even though I was a youth pastor and I love young people, I'd probably do away with high school worship today. And I would have my high school kids serving and leading and being involved in the adult worship. So when they go away to college, they don't really leave their church. It's there and they're a part of it. Okay. The back door closing it. I think you're always going to have... Um, an open back door because people go through life stages. They move a lot. And no matter what you're doing, they're probably going to leave. The problem is if you have way more people leaving than coming in, then that's the issue. And then you need to ask the big why question. 
why are people leaving the church? I think one reason is how do we close the back door? I think you've got to be very clear about your vision and your uniqueness. Why should they come to you if your church is the same as every church in town? Uh, uh, what's unique about your ministry? Who are you reaching? Nobody else is reaching. Uh, so that's one. I'd say, what is unique about your vision? Secondly, develop a serving culture. Statistics show that people come one out of four times a week. People that serve come out of four, they come four times a month because when you're serving, you're there every week. Also connect them to a small group because if you're in a small group, you might not like what's going on with the church, but if you have a lot of relationships in your small group, Normally, you're going to stick through the tough times. I just read this week a barn research that Gen Z, 90-some percent of Gen Z say the key to their spiritual growth is they want to discover their gift and use their giftedness in the church. That's, that's totally different. Most of us boomers were not told discover your spiritual gift. We said, here's the job, go fill it. And so really, if we want to reach the younger generation, they're very concerned about, if you help me discover my spiritual gift and develop it, I will come and uh, be a, a part of your church. Now, hang in here, especially true in a small church. In a small church, you, you always need to leave the back door open because some people need to leave the church anyway, because you got some people that are complainers and hang around and, and your church is not going to grow until they leave. I'm sorry to hear that. But the number one key, I think, to close the back door is we got to go back and put an emphasis on evangelism. If you're reaching people for Jesus Christ, there's usually an excitement and energy in that church that people want to be a part of. So I guess I'm saying if the back door is wide open and everybody's leaving, you got to ask why. On the other hand, the best thing for the health of the church is we got to restore a heart for lost people. There's so many people in America today that aren't going to church at all. Uh, let me throw this out if I can, Megan. I read on a, a Barner research. This really caught me off guard. I've been saying for years that the church is now the visiting team. And most of us in ministry were trained to be the home team where everybody loves us. Today, the research says 63% of Americans have no confidence in the local church. 63%. We're the visiting team. For pastors today, it's different preaching when they don't like you. Also, this is tragic. 61% of Americans see pastors as dishonest. So with those two things, that's probably one reason people are leaving the church. Uh, they see us as we're not real. We're afraid to preach the truth of the gospel and let it fall where it is and let people leave over Black Lives Matter, over Trump or no Trump or mask or no mask. We got to get in there and preach the word of God and be resilient and don't give up, as our brother said. And that's tough because I think most of the younger generation of pastors have never had to experience this much turmoil before. And so, um, but I think it's necessary to make us the way God wants us to be. I got off on a tangent there. I'm sorry a little bit, but uh, so uh, preachers, uh, you know, uh, uh, toughen up. That, that whole celebrity versus servant thing, stop and think about it. Jesus said what? If you want to be my disciple, you're going to automatically be a success. He didn't say that. He said, if you want to be a disciple, you know, lay your life on the line, give up everything and follow me. And so I think in the ministry too often, we've talked about success instead of suffering, struggle, sacrifice, selfless. These are the things that people around the world 
are going through to serve Jesus. In America, we're spoiled. We're spiritually weak. My grandson just came home. He's working with International Justice Mission in Ghana. And we were talking yesterday, and I said, uh, he's going back uh, this week. And I said, uh, what's the difference? I said, do you find many people in Ghana that are having mental, mental health issues in the church? He said, none. I go, you're right, because they're worried about where to get the next meal. We Americans have so much that if we're so self-centered rather than Christ-centered, our spiritual health is indicative, I think, of our mental health. And I think for a lot of pastors today, I'm sorry, we might be studying to give sermons, but our spiritual health is weak. Therefore, we're more susceptible to mental struggles that come. That's, uh, it's can, I throw you a, can I throw you a curveball and ask a uh, question that um, the beginning when you started, you had mentioned uh, building community with small groups and things of that nature. Um, I think small groups are a gift and a curse. I think they're a gift because they do help with the community. I think they're a curse because I have seen many times, not every time, but many times they create clicks within the church. What do we do? What do we do? How do we, I mean, is it just human nature? Is it our sinful nature? Like what, how do we navigate some of that? Or is that kind of like a really long answer? No, well, I think, I think you got to go back and what's the purpose of your small group. I think most people, most preachers start small groups to close the back door. Again, you build relationships. I think the major purpose of the small group is to reach your neighbors for Jesus Christ. So if the focus is, again, is on others and lost people, you won't turn inward as much. But on the other hand, if it's kind of a closed group when you start, and once you're together three or four years, an unchurched person really going to have a hard time feeling comfortable. You're going to, you're right. You're going to be what it's all about me, and you're going to stick together. I think one thing that we have found out during COVID, though, that's, that's going to be interesting is that a lot of people found community outside of church small groups in the past two years. And so we think, come back to small groups, come back to church, you need community. They were forced to find community some other way in the past two years because churches were shut down. And so that's something that uh, a lot of preaching I'm hearing is not come to Christ, it's come back to church. Well, if you come back to church and you're still self-centered, we still have lost. The issue is we got to have people, you, we got to go out and bring people to Christ, not just come back to the church, because then they're still consumers rather than contributors. I'm trademarking that. No one, I'm trademarking that. I'm taking it. I'm stealing it, Don. I'm poor. I need it. Come it's back to Christ, not come back to church. I love that. One of the big things I'm always harping on is, are you growing your church or are you growing the kingdom? right? Is it butts in the seat or is it people in the kingdom? And so um, that spoke right to me. That's that's one of my soapboxes I get on. Um, I'm going to ask one more question. Then I'm going to open up the floor. My last question for you is, what is the best piece of advice? I'm going to another softball. We'll end it with a softball. Um, um, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given as a pastor that you would like to pass on to um, the folks who are here with us today? Uh, I would say what's helped me in ministry for over 50 years is basically live for an audience of one. My job is, is to please Jesus and him only. I don't know the formula for success, but I know the formula for failure. Try to please everybody. Uh, you can't do it. And again, I'm thankful for Andy Stanley. I'm thankful for all the guys here listening today. I'm thankful for all kinds of pastors, but God didn't call me to be them. God called me to be myself. 
and so uh, part of part of living for an audience of one is be comfortable in your own skin and realize that God's made you unique, and therefore you can reach people nobody can. So so just be yourself and be real, and don't worry about pleasing everybody. It's 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 a you'll go nuts. Uh, probably my dad lived in his nineties. He was my spiritual hero, and uh, when I was here in Phoenix for about the last thirty-five years. We would talk every Saturday morning on the phone, and no matter what our conversation, uh, my father always ended the conversation, son, remember these two things, love your wife and preach the word. And so if, if uh, our ministry to accelerate group is helping marriages and helping ministries, and it goes right along with that, so I'd say pastors today out there, they're discouraged. Your spouse is your number one partner and supporter in your ministry, and if your marriage fails, your ministry is probably going to fail. So do everything you can to love your wife. And the thing that makes you different as, as, a, as a minister from every profession, God has anointed you to preach the word. So don't compromise the word. Love your wife and preach the word. Yes, yes, yes. Preach the word. Get the gospel out there. Love it. All right, guys. Now I'm going to, that was really annoying. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Okay. Now I'm going to open up the floor. If you have a question, comment, concern, you're just super excited and you want Donna to know who you are, go ahead and unmute yourself or leave a comment in the chat group and Renee and I will um, watch for those and communicate those. Now, Dr. Wilson, it does take our folks just a couple of minutes to warm up. Um, you know how pastors are. So we'll just give them just a few minutes. What are you moments. drinking? What is your stimulant that you have there to keep you going? I just try to have the Holy Spirit to energize me. It, you, you know, know Starting January 1st, I made a resolution to drink more water, and water actually gives me more energy than anything else I've ever drank, so, and I started walking my dogs uh, one at a time instead of all three, so um, longer walks in water. <laughs> so M cup threw me for a curve. I didn't think that was water, so that was good. M oh, no, this is coffee. That was... <laughs> I was trying to be impressive, Don. Come on, come okay. on. All right. In for magnificent. Oh, I thought for it was ministry, but it's probably for Megan, so it's okay. It is for I'll, Megan, right? I'll kick off your questions, Don. Um, just love to get to spend time with you. Thanks so much for joining us today and just being a part of the Solomon board with the mission of resourcing and equipping and loving on and encouraging pastors, getting to witness you and the entire board do that just brings me a great amount of joy. So we just thank you so much in all the ways you do that, including being here today. So um, I remember watching you uh, preach and teach uh, one Sunday at Southeast and you gave a stat about prayer that floored me. It was about uh, how few people pray for others to come to know Jesus Christ. They pray for sickness and health, and it's all me, 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 which is a bit of what we talked about today. And you shared some great stats. And that leads into the question that I'm going to ask that's on the chat room. And that is, what are the sources that you get your stats, what you've spoke about today, and stats other times that you've preached? You mentioned Barna, but uh, where specifically are you pulling that? Uh, I, I think uh, um, I'll get there. I think for preachers, many can communicate, few can connect. So for me, you attract who you are, not what you want. So you have to understand who is it you want to reach. So it does no good. Uh, for example, I think I reach 
athletes and businessmen. So I read the Wall Street Journal every day because I want to take stats that relate to the businessman. So when I preach, he says, you know what I'm going through. Now, I'm clueless on mental health and technology. So I'm not going to reach techie people that well. So for me, I'm not going to use many stats from a tech magazine because they would know I'm clueless on that. So again, I try to read articles or magazines that will give me information on who I'm trying to reach for Christ or who I think is sitting in the pew. Does that make any sense? So I would get it from Wall Street Journal. I'd read USA Today cover to cover. There's some church stuff on Barna and, and, and the Lifeway research that that's where I've got some of those stats today. Um, so anyway, that's how I try to relate and let them know I'm relevant, that I understand what's going on in their world. I think who you're going to reach determines where you'd get your stats. Good. I think we have time for one or two more questions. So go ahead. Don, I got a question. So I'm going to I'm going to push back on something you said. And just for everyone's information, Don and I are friends. So uh, this isn't just me some attacking someone I don't know. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I hear a lot is something that you, you kind of echoed is that it's the problem of the church or the fault of the church, why teenagers are, are disconnecting, why high, are going into college. But I think that's somewhat of the problem that we're having even in schools is we're blaming the teachers for issues that are really parent issues. Um, and, I, and I think kids that don't have legitimate faith in the church has them for a couple hours a week, maybe. And, and nowadays, it, even less than that. My, my question to you and just a little bit of that pushback is what can we do to challenge parents to be parents and put the responsibility back on them? And, and even what systems can we have in our churches that can increase that? I mean, I, you're saying, you know, stop youth worship and put them into the main service. That can be an element of it, but that still doesn't change the home dynamic, which is the number one influence of, of their faith. So you understand what I'm asking? Absolutely, man. And, and I agree with you. No, and, and, and you don't have to go home and cancel your youth worship because I said that. But I, number one stat again of successful families is they eat at least one meal together as, as a family every day. That, that is the number one stat of successful families. Why they use that time to debrief what's going on in your life today. And they use that to reinforce biblical values or talk about their values. Uh, I think too many parents today want to be liked uh, by their kids. Uh, and that's one of the problems. But, you know, I don't want to go back to the only sermon I have, but that sermon I have on three chairs, the first chair is you love God and put him first. The second chair, you love God, but put yourself first. The third chair is you just put, you just live for, for, for self. There is very little difference between a Christian who loves God and is self-centered than a non-believer. And I think the problem, again, is too many parents in our churches are self-centered Christians. And when their kids grow up and see that, rarely do they move to the first chair. Instead, stats show that they move to the third chair. They walk away from the Lord because they saw that what their parents during tough times never, re never re relied back to the Lord. They went every place else. So I think the issue, you're right, is people in the church in our pews who call themselves Christians but are self-centered, that will not produce disciples who are kids. Because when the kids grow up, they go, that didn't work. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I'm agreeing with you. It comes back to, we got, we, the problem is not the kids, the problem is the parents. 
you know, they're influence, 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 example, example, example. We got to get moms and dads back to how are you teaching biblical values at home in a way that is transferred to your kids? Uh, yeah. Renee, um, Elmer Simbley has one last question. Do you think we have time for that? Let's do it. And if you all have to jump off to other meetings, know that that you're welcome to do that. Uh, we also will get people connected with Don and Mike through Accelerate here after this last question. And Megan will announce who's here next week. So if you can hang out a little longer, do if you have to hop off, we totally get it. We love you. <laughs> all right. Can you hear can you hear me this time, though? All right, great. So uh, one of the things that Don said was about the community, the community of the church. Um, people have been recently leaving the COVID, uh, well, COVID reasons, whatever, but they have been establishing community elsewhere, right? Now, so, and, and this is really just a follow-up, right, to the, to, to the parenting question, to the, to the teens going out the back door, people going out the back door. How are we establishing the community that will actually that will actually keep people in the church, and that I think that was the real key is that yes, you can you can shift it to the parents, you can shift it to the thing, but are we establishing community so that way people then feel the necessary they feel to be necessarily there because they feel that they're getting something in the community, not just you know preach that. How do how do we establish that community? Um, well, I just, I'll, I'll beat the evangelism drum again, okay? Unity, churches that say our purpose is unity, unity never brings unity. What brings unity is mission. And so churches that are united together, it's because of their desire to reach the lost. From different denominations, what brings them together is to reach lost people. And so I think trying to get community for the sake of community will not create community. The way I create community is when the people in my group or in my church have a burden to reach the lost, so we're not self-focused, that our mission creates the community. Community will not create community because, again, it becomes self-centered and that'll, that'll never change culture. So again, it, it all comes back to mission. What is the mission of the group? What is the mission of your church? What is it that drives you? What is it that people want to be a part of your church or your community because of mission or vision or difference that you're making in the community? Okay, awesome. Dr. Don, listen, I really, Dr. Don, I read that in the comments and that's what came to my mind. Dr. Wilson, thank you so much for being here. And um, please tell your wife I said hello because... We're good friends. We're buds. Honor. So, God bless you, you pastors. Hang in there. Yes, absolutely. Up.